Welcome back to the Sun Also Rises radio show here on KPCG-FM. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and today's episode is called Giving. We'll start off with a series of three stories on the topic of giving and generosity. These are stories that I've been collecting from research and news reading over the years, and I'm really excited to have an opportunity today to share them with you. Then later in the show, we'll talk to trumpet writer Andrew Miller about what science says on the topic of giving, and I'll share one brief story of my own that I hope you'll find beneficial also. For the three stories in this first segment, there is a common thread that runs through them, joining them together like a, like a pearl chain. And I think it will become pretty clear what that thread is as we make our way through these accounts. The first story begins in 1847. Ireland was right in the middle of the Great Potato Famine, or the Great Hunger, as it's sometimes called. This was an extremely difficult time for the Irish. Their staple crop was potatoes, so when a blight came through and ravaged the potato crops, it resulted in mass starvation and disease throughout the country. Estimates say that about one million people died from the famine, and another million immigrated out of Ireland to escape starvation. So the country's population fell by about 25% as a result of this great potato famine. The news of the terrible suffering in Ireland spread into mainland Europe and other parts of the world, and eventually it worked its way to the Choctaw Indians. The Choctaw lived in what is now Oklahoma, the American state that KPCG is based out of, and it had only been about 15 years earlier that the Choctaw had been removed from Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida, which is mostly where the tribe had lived for many generations, and they had been relocated to Oklahoma. The name Oklahoma, in fact, comes from the Choctaw language. Okla in Choctaw means people and Huma means red, so the word Oklahoma would basically translate to red people, which Native Americans were often called by themselves and others at that time. The relocation had been difficult for the Choctaw people. They were the first of several Native American tribes to make the long, sad journey along what we now call the Trail of Tears. The winter during which most of them made the trek was one of the coldest on record, and reports say that the food supplies and the clothing they had were inadequate. And many of the Choctaws did not survive the trip. Of those that did survive, many faced severe hardships once they arrived in Oklahoma, trying to build new homes and farms and other establishments in a very foreign place. Well, after the Choctaw had been in Oklahoma for 15 years or so, that's when they heard the news about the people of Ireland starving in mass. The Choctaw's memory of their own starvation and struggle was still very fresh, so they had great empathy when they heard this story from across the ocean. And the Choctaws decided to take action in order to help the Irish. These were people of very meager resources. They were still trying to get reestablished after having been uprooted 
and relocated just a few years earlier. But individuals from the tribe scraped together what they could, and they made donations totaling $170. And so they sent this $170 to assist the people of Ireland. I went to an online inflation calculator and plugged in these numbers, and it turns out that $170 in 1847 would be worth the modern equivalent of $4,742. So that's a sizable donation, especially coming from people who had so little to give. Ireland, for its part, has never forgotten the generosity of the Choctaws. The Irish never forgot about these people of very meager means who helped them in their hour of desperation. Just last year, 2015, some 170 years after the Great Famine and after they received the Choctaws' donation, one Irish town, Middleton in County Cork, built a huge memorial, a beautiful, massive, stainless steel sculpture of nine eagle feathers as a monument to the Choctaws' generosity. The sculpture is called Kindred Spirits, And the artist who created it said the feathers are meant to show that even when the Choctaw people were fragile, fragile like a feather, and in need themselves, they still displayed great courage and humanity in helping the Irish. The next story took place more recently, in the aftermath of the tragic terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. In those horrendous attacks, radical Islamists killed more than 3,000 Americans. And the world was deeply shocked by what had happened. But there was an outflowing of support and sympathy for the United States from countries and groups of people all over the world. Israel declared a full day of mourning. Canada commenced its famous Operation Yellow Ribbon. In England... The day after the attack, the queen ordered her troops to break with age-old tradition during the changing of the guard there at Buckingham Palace and to play the United States National Anthem during the ceremony for the first time ever. Australia invoked the ANZUS Treaty. Ireland shut down for a full day of mourning, as did the Czech Republic, Croatia, and Turkey. Trams and buses in Greenland, Sweden, and Norway all came to a halt out of respect for the American victims. Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan offered America use of their airspace in order to bring the culprits to justice. Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan did the same. In Russia, television and radio stations went silent to commemorate the dead. In China, Tens of thousands of people visited the U.S. Embassy, leaving flowers, cards, wreaths, and handwritten notes of condolence there. Financial support was offered to America by nations as unlikely as Cuba, Saudi Arabia, and South Africa. Many people in Kuwait lined up at their local Red Crescent hospitals to donate blood to those who'd been injured. And that's actually what we did at the American University I was attending at the time of the attacks as well. We had a blood drive and shipped it up to New York as fast as we could. All over the world, U.S. allies and other nations and groups of people 
offered their support and sympathy to America in all kinds of different ways. But there was one group of people that no one would have expected to help. It's a group whose name almost never finds its way into international affairs, and that is the Maasai tribe in Kenya. Skyscrapers such as those that were destroyed in the 9-11 attacks are a foreign concept to the Maasai. For them, the tallest things on the horizon are the Muna trees and the acacia trees and maybe the giraffes that eat from them. But a student from the Maasai tribe happened to be visiting New York City when the attacks happened. And when he returned and told his people about the terrible tragedy that he had witnessed there, they really wanted to help. And they wanted to do so by giving the United States something that is very precious in the lives of the Maasai. And that is cows. Cows are one of the most cherished things that a Maasai can offer as a, as a gift. The Maasai view them as much more than just a source of milk and meat. A groom pays the father of a woman he wants to marry in the currency of cows. The Maasai make a lot of their clothing from cow leather, and they also use cow dung to protect the outside of their dwellings, and they use them for all kinds of other reasons and other purposes too. So the cow is, in many ways, the center of life for the Maasai, and for that reason, they wanted to give cows to the suffering Americans after the attack. So the tribe's people pooled their resources and donated 14 of their healthiest and most prized cows to America as a gesture of sympathy. Most Maasai people live on less than $1.25 per day. And a cow for them costs about $150. So 14 cows for the Maasai represents a substantial amount of money. This gift was no small thing. The United States sent a delegate to a ceremony to receive the generous gift. And thousands of Maasai were there. And many held up banners saying, To the people of America, we are touched by your loss. We give these cows to help you. So that is a moving story, I think, of real generosity and of a group of people reaching deep into their pockets to give to others, even when they themselves had very little. Our third giving story happened in the year 2005, just after Hurricane Katrina had wrecked the Gulf Coast of the United States devastating many communities, especially in the New Orleans area. Katrina was a Category 5 hurricane and was the costliest natural disaster in the history of the United States. It was also one of the deadliest, with more than 1,400 people killed. News of this terrible disaster spread around the world quickly. And eventually, it reached a group of women in Kaireka, Uganda, which is there in west-central Africa. Kaireka is a slum, basically, that overlooks Uganda's capital city, Kampala. And Kaireka is a one-industry town. 
The men there strip mine boulders from the town's hillside quarries, and the women take those boulders and shatter them into rocks about the size of walnuts so that the rocks can be used in construction projects. The women do this arduous work by hand, pounding each boulder with hammers and chisels. And for this back-breaking work, working more than eight hours a day, the women earn the equivalent of only $1.20 per day. But after they heard about Hurricane Katrina and all of the community, communities that had been ripped apart by it, 200 of these Ugandan women decided to save up their earnings and send them to the victims in New Orleans. They collected just under $900 and sent it to America. The magnitude of that sacrifice is hard to fathom. It really defies logic. These 200 women were earning just $1.20 per day each, just barely eking out a living, barely surviving, In many cases, they were single mothers supporting several children on that slender wage. Yet, when they heard about other people in need on the other side of the planet, they found a way to sacrifice. These Ugandan women heard about people suffering and they took action to help those in need. They gave the $900 to AVSI, which is an Italian aid organization in Uganda, and AVSI channeled the money to the affected people in the United States. I have a quote here from Rose Buzingye. She's one of the 200 women who gave money to this cause. She said, Those people who are suffering, they belong to us. Their problems are our problems. Their children are our children. Well, I hope you have found these three stories inspiring. When I first encountered them, I was really moved and uplifted by the generosity of the people in each case who were giving, even when they themselves had so little. And the common thread of these stories is that they are all, in a way, a retelling of the biblical story of the widow's might. In that account, recorded by both Mark and Luke, a very poor widow woman donates two small coins to charity. The coins, are called, the coins are called mites, which were the least valuable coins available at that time. Historians believe a mite was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of one modern U.S. dollar each. So this woman made a small donation worth about $2 total, but the sum of the donation was everything she had to her name. It may not have been much, but for her, it was the entirety of her wealth. And the example she set was really praised in the biblical accounts there because even though it was small and much smaller than the donations being made by wealthier people there, it was everything to her. Relativity matters. That's the real lesson. And when you think about relativity and how little the Choctaw had when they gave to the Irish, and how little the Maasai had when they donated those precious cows to help post-9-11 America, and how little the Ugandan women had when they made their donation to the victims of Hurricane Katrina, then I think 
Each of those stories can help us to see how noble it is to be generous, especially when you have very little to give. Well, when we come back, we'll talk to trumpet writer Andrew Miller about what science says on the topic of generosity and giving. And I'll tell a brief story about one of my own experiences with giving. We'll be right back. Can you imagine a world without famine, disease, and pestilence? A world free of crime, war, and hatred? Man has tried throughout history to rid the world of these problems, but to no avail. Will man ever find the way to peace? The Bible speaks of a soon-coming utopia in which God will finally bring us peace. It will be a world governed by God's law of love. Poverty, famine, illiteracy, and escalating violence will be reversed. The dry and barren lands of the world will be made fertile, and resources will be plenteous. Sickness and disease will be replaced by robust and prosperous living. The language barrier will be bridged, and an education in the true values of life will flourish the world over. Beyond this bleak, unhappy, present-day reality is this soon-coming future Our booklet, The Wonderful World Tomorrow, is free at our website, thetrumpet.com. Download it or request it free today. Welcome back to The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG. Today's episode is about giving. In the first half, we discussed three different stories about people giving, even when they themselves did not have much people who had to reach deep into their pockets to help others, but who did so willingly. And most of us have personally experienced the way giving to others can make us feel happier. And I've got a guest here, trumpet writer Andrew Miller, who says this feeling is is confirmed by scientific research. Thanks for being on the show, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'd just seen a, a quite a fascinating uh, study done at the University of British Columbia this week. Uh, it's been written up by um, its primary author, Ashley Wilhans, um, and then with the secondary author there being Elizabeth Dunn, two students there at the University of British Columbia that have got a direct correlation between giving your money and lower blood pressure. Hmm. So, th- So those who gave money to others, actually had lower blood pressure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, like a preliminary study, has a sample size of about 73, but they, um, and in the study with all 73 people, they divided them into two groups. Uh, they gave uh, every member of the group $40, and the first group was instructed to spend the $40 on themselves, while the second group was instructed to spend the $40 on other people, uh, a gift or, or something of that nature. And then over the course of the study, after they'd measured blood pressure, they'd found that the group that was actually uh, displaying a generous spirit uh, in, or, or participating in the act of giving had um, statistically lower blood pressure than the control group. Wow, that is a, it's a compelling study. Were they able to prove that it was causal and not only correlational, 
or uh, are there still some question marks hanging over it at this time? Well, at this point, it was definitely correlational. They found out that um, uh, it was strongest amongst those groups that had actually given to friends or family members, even stronger than um, those who'd given to people they don't know, although the, the decline was there in both cases. But it was it's just purely correlational that those who participated in the act of giving had a lower blood pressure. They don't necessarily have a... Uh, like a physiological or or chemical reason for why that is yet. Well, that is really interesting. So the takeaway from that is basically uh, if you want your blood pressure to be lower, which probably correlates to other kinds of uh, improved physical health, be more generous and give more to others and and less to yourself. Right. That was interesting also as they found that the... um the effect seemed to be temporary. Uh, if you stopped to give, your blood pressure would go back up to its normal rate before. But as long as you continue in this generous giving spirit, the the blood pressure stayed low, which uh, it just really did bring the uh, the mind the the proverb from the Bible in Proverbs eleven twenty five, where uh, in the New International Version it states, "A generous man will prosper; he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed." Wow, so some ancient wisdom from the scriptures there is essentially confirmed by this scientific study. That's uh, definitely um, appears to be the case, and I'll be uh, I'll be very interested in keeping a uh, keeping a tab on this and seeing where the where the study leads to in the future. I know there was some talk of you possibly writing uh, an article for this on the trumpet. Does that look like it's going to happen? I think that looks like a distinct possibility. Uh, right, these next couple days we're in a we're in a crunch getting our next uh, print edition for the May June issue uh, out. But as soon as we've as soon as we've caught up on that, I'm definitely want to dig more into this study and try to get something up on the website. We really appreciate you uh, joining us today, and I hope that article pans out. I'd love to read a little bit more about this fascinating subject. All right, thanks for having me on the show. Well, I have a short personal story of my own now that I'd like to share that actually confirms, at least on an anecdotal level, the findings of the scientific research that Andrew shared with us. Several years ago, I had endured some disappointments and some setbacks, and for the first time in my life, I felt depressed. I don't think it was the most severe kind, but it was enough to leave me feeling kind of drained of emotion and sapped of energy and just not excited about life the way I feel like I mostly always had been before that time. And during this time of depression, after I had felt that way for maybe two months or so, Someone asked me if I would spend one of my precious Sundays cleaning out the gutters on their house. It was an older person who wasn't able to clean the gutters. And I say my Sundays were precious because it was the one day each week when I didn't have to work or fulfill other obligations, and I was free to really do what I wanted. It was me time. And since I was feeling down at that time, I spent most of that precious me time on those Sundays, mostly watching TV and doing other non-productive things like that. I was not very excited about the idea of giving my entire Sunday to do that work and to clean those gutters. But I did it, and it took about nine hours, and I was astonished to see how great I felt at the end of those nine hours. I felt like 
in a big way, the fog had lifted from the funk that I had been stuck in. And that feeling of having finally started to escape that that, uh, despondency and depression was still with me the next morning. And from then on, I just kept getting better and better, and I kept climbing further and further out of that negativity. And within a few more weeks, that chapter was over. And I looked back on that day that I gave, cleaning those gutters, as the turning point. Before I went to help that day, I didn't think it would make me happy. I thought the thing that would make me feel happier would be to treat myself, to indulge my own desires, and to do what I wanted to do. But even though I didn't go into it with the best attitude, I ended up giving my time on that day instead of hoarding it for myself. And the giving made me happy. It helped me to fight off that black dog of depression. Anyway, when I uh, first encountered those studies that Andrew mentioned there, because of my own experience, I was fully convinced of their veracity. That experience showed me firsthand and convinced me beyond all doubt that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive, as the Bible says there. Well, I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and we are coming to the end of The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG-FM. That's 101.3 on the FM dial here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And the live stream is available all around the world by typing kpcg.fm into your internet browser. Please visit thetrumpet.com today to see an article we have up about those three inspiring stories of people giving even when they have so very little for themselves. We really appreciate you listening today and hope that you'll give us your feedback and comments. Just email tsar at kpcg.fm. We received quite a bit of really encouraging feedback from our first episode last week and would love to hear your thoughts about today's episode too. I would like to thank Andrew Miller and the KPCG operations manager, Mr. Dwight Falk, and the production assistant, Abraham Blondeau. And I will leave you with these words from German writer Eric Fromm. Giving is the highest expression of potency. In the very act of giving, I experience my strength, my wealth, my power. This experience of heightened vitality and potency fills me with joy. I experience myself as overflowing, spending, alive, hence as joyous. Giving is more joyous than receiving, not because it is deprivation, but because in the act of giving lies the expression of my aliveness. Thank you again, and please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of The Sun Also Rises.